Church, it is great to see you. It's really good to see you, and I will say it feels wonderful to be back teaching again. I certainly miss when I'm not here. You are loved, and I'm grateful that we get to experience this day together. So thank you for being here, and for everyone watching online, thank you for joining us as well. During my time away, my oldest daughter got married, and we just had a fantastic day and event. It was truly very special. I'm very excited about the new Mr. and Mrs. Henry, and as soon as I can, I will be sure to share some pictures with you. It was just a wonderful celebration. I also want to pause and say happy 4th of July to everyone. However you are celebrating, be safe and enjoy. In our scripture reading today that was just read for us from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about a new person in the text. And that new person is defined by someone who belongs to Jesus. I don't know if you picked up on that, but this is what we find in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who has believed, has become a new person. The old life is gone. It's no longer there. And a new life has begun. So think about this. When a person trusts in Jesus alone to rescue them, they are, we are, a brand new person. And this new identity that we have includes a new framework, really, for thinking about Jesus, for talking about Jesus, and for sharing Jesus. The word ambassador in verse 20 is very dynamic. It says, so we are Christ's ambassadors, and God is making his appeal to us. That word ambassador means to be a representative. So we could read verse 20 this way. So we are Christ's representative. We are his ambassador, and he is making his appeal to the world through believers, through apprentices of Jesus. The Greek word for ambassador is only used twice in all of the New Testament. It's used here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We also see the Apostle Paul using this word in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, where he says this, I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador, as God's representative. And this is kind of an interesting thing that's happening here because the apostle is saying, I'm in change, I am bound up, I am in jail. This is less than an ideal situation for being an ambassador for Christ, but yet I am still his representative. I'm still responsible for doing this even in chains, so pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. A question for today, as we move through our time together, 
is how well are Christians doing at filling the role of being ambassadors? How well are we actually doing? And I do think we have to personalize this. How well am I doing at being a representative for Jesus Christ? How well am I doing at being an ambassador? Today we come to the final talk in this second section of our theme called Rooted in Christ. We took 10 weeks starting in February to walk through 10 talks on core Christian beliefs. We gave time to theology And if you weren't a part of that, or if you don't remember some of those things, or you missed a few weeks here and there, I would encourage you to go back and to watch those talks, because they are great for followers to know. Here's what we stand on in our faith. Here are our core beliefs, and we do stand on theology. So we took 10 weeks to think about doctrine. We then moved into the second set of 10 talks, about core Christian practices or disciplines. And today we finish this section with a final practice. Let's review these. You can see the list of 10 different practices on the screens. And I will say this is not an exhaustive list. There are certainly more practices and disciplines that we should engage in as we follow Jesus. But this is a strong and a good list as we think about walking with Christ, different things. And we practice these throughout our lives. It's not like we ever perfect them. We keep practicing them so that we can be disciplined as we walk with Jesus and serve as his ambassadors. Our final practice or the final discipline that we will talk about, can you put that list back up, please? Is sharing my faith. All right, so we've walked through all of these different things Today, we want to conclude this second section of 10 Talks by thinking about sharing my faith. I want to go back to the question that I initially asked, and that is, how are we doing at this? Sharing our faith and being ambassadors or representatives of Jesus Christ on earth. How are we doing with this? Well, the data is not encouraging. So let's be discouraged for a little bit, and then we'll move from there, okay? Sounds great, doesn't it? Let's take time to be discouraged, but we'll kind of move past that. Ryan Burge, a political science professor, recently researched religious and faith traditions within the United States. And what he did with his research is that he named the faith tradition, and he categorized them in different ways, based on data from the General Social Survey, which is a large independent research organization. So he looked at all of this big research about people, and in particular, he pulled out the different faith traditions, and he shared data from 1972 to 2018, or over a 46-year period of time, and what he looked for was the percentage of people within the U.S. population that identified with a certain faith tradition. So, big survey, 46 years, 
what is the percentage of people that identify with these different faith traditions? And here's what he discovered. Group number one are evangelical Protestants. They were 17% of the population in 1972 and 21.5% of the population in 2018. Now, you could look at that and say, good news. There's a religious faith group that is actually growing in percentage points, except that evangelical Protestants reached a high of 29.9% in 1993. So, in two and a half decades, there has been an eight-point decline in people identifying as evangelical Protestants, still holding over a 46-year period of time. That's group number one. Group number two are mainline Protestants, and they receive their name because they often built their churches on main streets in cities and uh, towns across the U.S. Mainline churches include Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopals, and Lutherans. Mainline Protestants were 27.9% of the population in 1972, and by 1976, they actually reached 30.8% of the population, which is very significant because they are the only faith tradition in the survey that eclipsed 30% of the population. But since that time, they have been on a steady decline, falling to 9.9% of the population in 2016, and then they experienced a slight rebound to get to 11% in 2018. That's group number two. Group number three, Catholics, represented 27.3% of the population in 1972, and now they make up 23.1%. Group number four is Judaism. It represented 3% of the population in 1972, and now represent 1.7%. Group number five is other faith traditions such as Mormons, Buddhists, Hindus, and Muslims. They represented 3.9% of the population in 1972 and now represent 6.2%. So this is a group that is growing in size. Group number six then is a category called the nuns. These are individuals who would say they have no faith affiliation at all. In 1972, they represented 5.1% of the population, but by 2018, they represented 23.7%, and there are some research groups that actually place it higher than that. So think about this. The data from the survey indicated that from 1972 to 2018, there is only one faith group that grew in percentage points in regards to the amount of population identifying with that population or with that faith tradition. Only one faith group grew at all, and they only grew by 2.3%. Yet the nuns, or those who would say they have no religious affiliation at all, experienced hockey stick growth. And there does not appear to be an end in sight for that particular group. 
in responding to the question, what is causing the rise of the nuns, Burge, who worked through all of this information, replied, it's a question that haunts my dreams. The truth is, I can't point to one single causal mechanism for the nuns' astronomical growing numbers, and no other academic can either. Now, you hear all of this, like faith traditions are declining in terms of people who identify with them, and the groups that are growing are, in particular, those who would say they have no religious affiliation at all. You hear this content, and you might be thinking, you know, it's a holiday week, and I just want to watch some fireworks and grill hamburgers and hot dogs. This is really discouraging. Be a little more uplifting, Pastor, right? Well, we are talking about this because we want to be rooted in Christ, don't we? This is our theme for the year. This is what we desire as a faith community, as a church to live out what we see in Colossians to allow our roots to grow down deep into him. This is what we want. And so I think we have to consider how can we take on ourselves the discipline of practicing our faith in a culture that is moving away from all of this? The numbers are down. They're not for us per se. So how is it that we live out what we find in Ephesians chapter 6 and in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where we are called ambassadors or we are called to represent Christ on earth when it's all going in the wrong direction? How do we do this? My personal worship and reading time recently has been in the New Testament book of Acts. And in this church history book written by Dr. Luke, you see the church grow. It's forming from a very small group of individuals who gathered in fear in an upper room after Jesus returned to heaven, wondering what's going to happen. And then the Holy Spirit came upon them and filled them. And they moved out from there with power and authority. And they began to talk about this living Jesus and the difference he can make in a person's life and the hope that he brings when you trust in him alone. And what we find over and over and over again throughout the book of Acts is this phrase, the Lord added to their numbers. It's quite fascinating. This little fearful group of individuals that nobody cared about and nobody thought would really accomplish anything at all. They moved out with power and authority with the truth about a living Jesus. And people ran to the church like they wanted to be in on what was happening there because there was hope and joy in a group of imperfect people. But there's something happening there and people were drawn to this and they wanted to be part of something that was attractive. That's what we find in the early church. The Lord added to their numbers. And when you walk through the book of Acts, you find that they started with just a handful of people and it ended up being a church in the thousands because people were drawn to it. And they just ran to the church like, I have to get there. I want to be a part of that. It was attractive. 
Rodney Stark, a sociologist, wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity, where he seeks to define, and this is the subtitle of the book, quite interesting, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. I love that subtitle. Like, how did this happen? Again, just a small group of people who were fearful and really had no plan. How did that change? How did they become what he describes as a force in the early church there and in, the, in this time frame as people were coming to Jesus? How did all of that happen? Well, it is a well-written and well-researched book in stark states. Christianity did not grow because of miracle working in the marketplaces or because Constantine said it should or even because the martyrs gave it such credibility, although all of those things happened. It grew because Christians constituted an intense community and the primary means of its growth was through the united and motivated efforts of the growing number of Christian believers who invited their friends, relatives, and neighbors to share the good news. It grew because of that. And it grew rapidly. I do think there is something within the heart of every believer who longs to help other people find and follow Jesus. Even if we're not exactly sure how all of that works. I think that's deep within the heart of every believer. How can I help others? My family members and my friends, the people I care deeply about, find and follow Jesus. Because we read things like this, in Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 14. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? Fair question. And furthermore, how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Think ambassadors. And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. So this is a call to go, and beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring the hope of Jesus. You know, it's interesting because we don't normally think of feet as something that's beautiful, right? Like most people don't say, like, look at my feet, they're just gorgeous, Uh, Most people don't do that, but yet in Scripture, beautiful are the feet, lovely are the feet of those who go and share good news about Jesus, but yet this is a complicated thing. So what should we do? If sharing my faith is a practice, it's something that God wants for me, And we can see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 that we are called to be ambassadors, to represent God here on earth. This is the responsibility that we all have, yet numbers are going in the wrong direction. What should we do? Well, this is not a call to reverse the trends. I'm not even sure that's possible. 
So it's not a call to say, hey, let's go out and reverse the trends. That may indeed happen as people step into this practice and discipline, but it's not a call to do that. This is not a call to get angry about the loss of influence and to jump up and down and scream and yell about the way things were. I don't believe that's helpful at all, and no one will really listen to that. So it's not a call for those things. This is a way to say, Jesus wants us to practice, right? So we may never get this perfect, but Jesus wants us to practice sharing our faith. So how can we, and let's personalize it to our faith community, how can we as Valley Point Church live in such a way that we surprise and delight the communities around us with the joyous impact of Jesus and a church that is looking to him. How can we do that? How can we live as sent ones who share our faith in a world and in a culture that doesn't appear to be that interested anymore? Well, here are a few thoughts. Eight, to be exact. So get your pens ready I would encourage you to fill in these blanks, and I know some of you just heard me say eight, and you checked your watch, like, can we do all of this? And I assure you that we can. I would encourage you to write these things down, because this is how I believe we can share our faith. And I will say, this is a lot less about what we say. I'm not really going to share anything about, here's what to say to someone. This is more about who we are as Christ followers. Because I really believe, and I'm convinced, if we develop who we are as apprentices of Jesus, if we truly become, as Colossians tells us, rooted in him and we allow our roots to grow down into him, I think we will know what to say at the right time and it will be filled with grace And there will be something about us that is attractive and will be intriguing to people. So this is really more about who we are as followers, not really about what we say. I think God will give us the right words at the right time. So if you want to share your faith, here we go. Number one, dive into doctrine. Okay, just dive into that. Growing and deepening our understanding of who God is and what he has done for us will help us share our faith. And if we don't dive into dark doctrine, if we don't marinate in theology when we have the opportunity, I don't think we will be as prepared to effectively share our faith. So the challenge here is take advantage of every opportunity you can to dive into doctrine. Go back and watch the first 10 talks again about core Christian beliefs. And again, just marinate in theology because that will give us a beautiful picture of the story of a loving God who cares deeply for humanity and wants everyone to come into a loving relationship with him. And when we begin living that out, when we marinate in that, it will come out in our conversations. So number one, dive into doctrine. Number two, prioritize your worshiping life with the historical body of Christ. 
which is the church. So prioritize this, the regular engagement of the body of Christ. Our worshiping life with a church family is where we cultivate patience and love and we get to practice living the way of Jesus with other imperfect people. So we desperately need this in order to share our faith. Regular engagement with the historical body of Christ. It's this engagement, what we're doing right now, that prepares us to share our faith. I love what theologian Richard Mao says about this. Our engagement in the worshiping community of the local congregation is a primary place wherein we cultivate the patience and other virtues that are necessary for our active participation in the larger society. So think about that. What we are doing right now actually prepares us to leave and engage with the world. Our worshiping life, singing, praying, the fellowship of the Lord's table, the hearing of the word proclaimed is a time when we enter in a special way into the presence of our king who then sends us forth to serve the cause of his kingdom in our daily lives. Think about this. Coming in a regular way into a worshiping community, it will help us practice sharing our faith. I really believe we need the regular rhythm of this, of just pausing and taking 60 minutes and coming to the Lord's table and singing and opening up the word of God and allowing that to form and shape us into the image of Jesus. These things anchor us, and when we move away from them or we feel they are not needed or necessary, I think it becomes much more challenging to share our faith. Not impossible, but much more difficult. So when we engage in a systematic and regular way, we grow in our practice of sharing our faith. So, number two, prioritize your worshiping life with the historical body of Christ. Number three, how about this? Christian empathy. Wow. We need more Christians making room for others, I think, and practicing spiritual hospitality where we don't have to win arguments, but we make room for the experiences and the convictions of others. So we already talked about this. We are a diverse group of people. If we were to talk to everyone here, we would find we're probably all over the place on different issues and beliefs and even theology. And one of the things I love about Valley Point is that we all come together and we're here and we submit to the word of God. We open it and read it and we wrestle with how can I live this out and be shaped by this in my life today. And there are challenges that we all experience and sometimes we get frustrated with each other and the different opinions that we have. What if we all just practiced a little more Christian empathy and spiritual hospitality? Hospitality is where we say, hey, there's a spot at the table for you. And we may not see eye to eye on different things, but come, sit down, let's share a meal together. Let's talk and let's listen and let's love each other. 
And let's just leave some things to God and allow him to work in both of our lives. Christian empathy is desperately needed in our world. And may our church, may Valley Point be a place where followers of Jesus are practicing spiritual hospitality. Yes, we can hold to our convictions, but we do that in grace-filled ways. That's possible. And I think that's an effective witness in the world. Number three, Christian empathy. Number four, (laughs) ask yourself the question, am I an attractive follower of Jesus? Or am I one of the ugly ones? (laughs) I think we all want to be attractive, so let's pursue that. I saw a post this past week that said, I am so tired of people running around with a mouthful of scripture and a heart full of hate. It doesn't work. It doesn't work, and it will be really difficult to practice sharing our faith if we have the right scripture. That's a good thing. But if our heart is full of hate, well, that's a sincere problem. And we probably won't help people see a loving Jesus if that's the case. So just take some time to reflect today and ask, am am I an attractive follower of Jesus? Do, Do people want what I have or not? Number five. Your friends may not like Jesus. They may not like religion, and they may hate the church. But they probably like you. Now, maybe they don't. I'm not sure. That's a different problem and a talk for a different day. But your friends, they probably like you, even if they're not sure about Jesus and they have a problem with the church. As you have the opportunity, share the difference that Jesus has made in your life because your friends will probably listen to you and respect you. Number six, invite. Invite. And quite honestly, I think this might be a very dynamic component of how to practice sharing our faith. I'm a product of someone who took time to invite my family to church 40-some years ago in the suburbs of Chicago. And I've shared this story many times, but my father was not a religious man. He was not a believer, not a follower of Jesus. But he worked with two friends at Caterpillar Tractor Company in Aurora, Illinois. I know their names, Ron and Don. And they were great guys. They were believers. They loved Jesus and were part of a dynamic church at that time. And they struck up a relationship with my dad, and my dad enjoyed them, thought they were great guys. And after time, Ron and Don invited my dad to come to their church. My dad said, you know what, I I can do that, and I'll bring the family. I had an older sister at the time. And so the four of us went to a church in Oswego, Illinois, And it wasn't too long after attending there that my parents said yes to Jesus and and trusted in him alone. And and they got baptized after that. Yeah, we can clap for that. We can do that. So it's a good thing. And I remember as a very young boy watching life just change for us. And I love inviting and try to encourage everybody to do that all of the time. Don't say no for other people. Just invite. Because if Ron and Don had said, you know, Frank Kohler's not going to go to church. Why bother? 
Maybe he'll be upset with us. If they would have thought that, where would I be today? Where would my family be? That invitation eternally changed the direction of our family, and it can do the same for other people. We may not always know what to say or what to do, but an invitation to the community of Christ, whatever that may look like, and whatever gathering that may be, really has great potential to help people think about the claims of Jesus. So invite. Number seven, pray. If you have friends and family members who you want to see come into a loving relationship with Jesus, are you praying for them in a regular way? Are you praying that God will soften hearts? Are you praying that if you have the opportunity, you'll be able to share Jesus with grace-filled language? Are you praying that if you have the opportunity to invite, you'll be bold enough to step through that and encourage someone to fill the seat next to you? Prayer is a great thing, and if you have people that you want to see come into a loving relationship with Jesus, add them to your daily prayers. One of my daily prayers is this. I say, Lord, help me to have you as the sole content of my life today. And I, I try to pray that Monday through Friday. miss it here and there. But it's one of the things that I've written down in my daily prayer sheet. Lord, help me to have you as the sole content of my life today so that as I interact with people who may not know anything about Jesus or people who are searching for answers or people who are upset with the church or aggravated with Christianity, in some way, having Jesus as the sole content of my life will be able to help them. I pray for that, and I would encourage you to pray that as well and add people that you want to see come into a loving relationship with Jesus to your daily prayers. And then number eight, remember a helpful conversation does not always have to be smooth. And indeed, it probably won't be. Another research group said it this way, don't be discouraged if engaging with others, especially in spiritual conversations or practices, is awkward or fumbling at times. You're not alone with these challenges, and you may be more ready than you think to engage. Allow your unease, and I think this is fantastic, allow your unease to keep you sharp, honest, and considerate. Share generously and authentically about what you believe in practice. That's okay to do. Be honest about what you don't know or what you wrestle with. Ask questions with compassion and a listening ear. I really believe these eight thoughts, these eight steps, will help us effectively step into practicing this particular discipline of sharing our faith. I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and just conclude with these words that have already been read to us, but allow them just to fill your heart right now as you think about whatever God may be asking of you or as you consider how God is stirring in your own heart when it comes to practicing your faith. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us 
this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we, so Valley Point, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. May God give all of us the courage and the strength this week as we step out into a divided world, into places where people are frustrated, into spaces where I believe people are looking for hope and for grace-filled individuals to get next to them. May God give us the strength and the courage to go into those areas and be a bright light and practice sharing our faith where we live, work, and play. Father, we are grateful for today and just the time we have had for a little bit here to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul uses this word ambassador. And he said, that's what I am, even though I'm in prison and bound up, I'm not free, but yet I still need to represent Christ in the world. And then as he was talking to a group of believers, he said, we are now responsible for this reconciling work. And God wants to work through us. He wants us to represent him. So God, I pray that you'd help us all just to wrestle with this question. How well am I doing in this area? The data doesn't look great. And we can focus on that and get upset and begin to stand up and scream and yell about the way it should be. Or we can just look to your word and allow it to form and shape us as we go out and do our very best to take these eight thoughts and share our faith in this manner. So God, I confess to you, I don't know if I practice this enough, sharing my faith. I often say no for people. Like they're not going to come, or they don't want to hear, or they're not interested. And that may be true, and if people say no, we need to respect that. But I think others are ready to go on a journey of thinking about you and considering what you want for them. So would you help me to practice sharing my faith in the weeks to come? And God, I, I pray that for Valley Point Church and for everyone watching today as well, that you would help us to do this as well knowing that you love people and you have placed us next to them so that we can help them look up and see Jesus. So help us. It's difficult. It's challenging. There's a lot of nuance involved. Help us to be wise and careful and filled with grace and compassionate. Help us to practice spiritual hospitality, Christian empathy all along the way knowing this will make a real difference. And God, just use Valley Point Church to be 
a joyous presence in our communities. Help us to act that way, knowing you can and will use us. So we thank you for this challenge and for what we read in these passages. Help us to keep practicing all of these things, but in particular, sharing our faith. God, as we move into the next set of 10 talks starting next Sunday, and we think about core virtues or ways that we can be like Jesus. May that just continue to shape us into the image of your beloved son for the sake of others. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.